Welcome to the Writer's Room, where funny writers who sit in funny rooms and write funny words for other people finally get to talk. Here's your host, me, Jeff Cicero. Who's good off the top of their head? Who do you worry about the least? Well, like Howie Mandel is amazing. He used to be yeah. totally prepared, but now he comes out. He doesn't want any kind of preparation, and he's great. He's just always great. Yeah. And, uh, ben Kingsley did the same thing, by the way. He was like, I don't want to know what you're going to. He was so, it was at Queen Latifah when we worked together. I walked in and I'm like, wow, I'm going to meet Ben Kingsley. And I'd done all this work because my first packet was lazy and bad. So I spent all this research time. And I was like, do you want to go over the question? He goes, no. And he was just like, cut me off. He's like, I will not do that. Wow. And I was like, wow, okay, but you're Ben Kingsley. And he was fantastic. And he has a story about how he was joined the Beatles. And I was like, oh, please be true, right? You know, right. and Queen asked him and he says yes. And he tells a great story behind it. And of course, everyone, as you know, everyone loves Queen Latifah. Right. So you sit down with her and you just kind of fall in love with her and you'll do whatever yeah. she tells you to do. They'll tell any story. Um, but he was great. And I was worried because it was the same situation where he was like, I don't want to hear it. And he was rude. He was just like, nope. Don't, how dare you try to get me yeah. to be good on a talk show? Yeah. But he was great. Yeah, I think people who know how to handle themselves off the top of their heads don't even want to hear anything prior to it. It's like almost like a, a magic dust. Uh-huh. Just anything sprinkled until they get out there. But it takes a special person to do that. Uh, what's it like when a guest goes south and you're in the post-production meeting? <laughs> who looks at you first? The host... Uh-huh. Or the executive producer, or is it a I, double assassination? <laughs> I think the host is more sympathetic. But I feel bad for the host because, and I learned this, I didn't learn this on Kimmel, my first job, but on definitely on Lopez, he's the face of this of this scenario. So right. he looks bad. You know, like that was kind of like, he didn't want to, your job is to make him look good. And when they right. look bad, you know, that's kind of, but they're usually, the hosts are usually very sympathetic. They're like, wow, that guy was, I'm just trying, we had somebody and it was like, for a couple of days, the host was like, I can't believe that, you know, like, so they're very sympathetic to it. Um, but it, unless they're the EP also, <laughs> I'm trying to be uh, honest and diplomatic, but yes, the you get like, sometimes the EP is, the, it can be sympathetic. I mean, if you warn them, I definitely try to warn people. Now I've learned, be like, listen, this person is not good or right. We're gonna have to make this as short as possible, uh, or here's what we can talk about. You know, I try to give a warning up front, so no, there's no surprises. Yeah, so knows that they're gonna have to work. It's so uh, delicate. It's so weird because, like, the comedy in a monologue is right there. It's like when you say I'm taking an art class. It's like painting. That's what people think of, and the comedy is the painting. And what you're doing is like sculpting you have to take clay and kind of push it in from different directions and go okay and then it goes out there and people at home still go oh that was funny that was an entertaining segment that was Mm -hmm. so it's it's comedy from like a different a different perspective how did you get to a place where you said this is my niche this is what i'm good at did you start by doing comedy and sort of find this, or did you start from a whole different direction? I started doing stand-up when I was a teenager, 
and I did it all through Where? high school at in New Jersey and uh, Montclair. There was a there was a a coffee shop that did comedy at night, wow. and there was like five or six comedians. Jay Moore and I were friends in high school, and we did stand up together. And then he went off right after high school and became a big comedian. So it was kind of like that looming shadow when I was in college. You know, even my mom, rest her soul, said when I was in high school doing bachelor's, she goes, do you want to be end up like a loser, like Jay Moore? Because he wasn't doing anything. And then, like, a few years after that, she goes, the only time I'll ever admit that I was ever wrong about anything was Jay Moore. <laughs> <laughs> he turned out great. Um, but so, you know, I had that kind of, and then after college, I did stand up in New York, and I think I was a little bored of this, so I did the alternative scene, I did characters, and I did weird stuff, and I did stand up, and um, but I kept for work, I kept getting PA jobs on movies. And then I think that kind of work ethic of like, you have to have a nine to five thing kind of got in my uh-huh. head. So I started doing PA work and then I worked on TV nation with Michael Moore. And then all the work in New York is daytime talk shows, the kind of conflict yeah. shows back in the nineties, you know, like the, the Sally, Jesse Raphael type shows. So right, right. I worked on the Richard Bay show, which was a great experience. Do you know that why? show? Yeah, why was I remember that? That was like, if it was even possible at the time, it was like uh, the poor man's Jerry Springer. It was like it was like crazy. It was like let's take what Springer does and let's twist it around. I mean, like, what? You could do anything you fucking wanted. It was the greatest show. <laughs> it was so much fun. <laughs> I, I left because I just was like my soul was killing me because it was like daytime talk show, but. Uh, that kind of conflict show. But uh, one time I was there, my boss who hired me was like, we're doing, my team is crazy, right? So my job is to get the cart, the calls that people call in and um, type in uh, and then call them back and be like, why is your team crazy? And then try to get them in and fly them in. Uh-huh. Uh, one time a teenager didn't get on the plane. He went somewhere else. And I go, what the hell are you doing, man? And he goes, dude, the show is called my team is crazy. I'm crazy. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Anyway, so my boss uh, says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have them run around the, the studio, and they're going to do stuff for their mom, and they're going to wash their feet, and blah, blah, blah. And Richard Bay showed up at, like, 4 o'clock, you know, after partying until 3. And he's like, no, that's stupid. It feels like Nickelodeon. And I was so mad because because I was young and stupid and but this woman had hired me and how dare he insult her. And then I, I agreed that it was a stupid idea, but I wasn't going to say anything. So I said, well, I wanted to say Nickelodeon is the number one channel, but I said, why don't we just tar and feather these kids and use uh chocolate salt pudding for tar? And he goes, and I will have a bailiff. He goes, a bailiff like Richard bailiff. Yes. I love it. So I hired my friend Hank uh, from college to come in as the bailiff. And he poured, Pudding on these girls and then threw feathers at them. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> so you're literally trying to sarcasm your way out of the yeah. out of the bit, and he loves me, and you have to execute it now. And we have to execute it. That's happened a few times where I'll just pitch something ridiculous just to, and then I worked on. Um, recently, I worked at a, you know, the show that's my jam. Oh yeah, I got this the, great the, job uh, to come up with games. The Fallon, uh, Jimmy music. Fallon music show, com, game show. So I had to come up with stuff, and I was like, I don't know, let me just pitch some crazy shit, because I can't think of anything. If I pitch something crazy, at least I sound like a crazy person. So I was like, we'll call it uh, <laughs> Hit Me Baby Velcro Time. Hear me out. 
<laughs> we'll have the person standing and we'll play Hit Me Baby one more time. And every time they say the word baby, we'll throw a baby at you with Velcro on it and you have to catch it on your body. And they're like, we love it. I was like, what? And I left the show and I get an email two months later saying, hey, we tried it out, meaning they bought babies and put Velcro on it. And it didn't work. <laughs> We're really sorry to tell you. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm sorry I wasted your time. Oh my God. So uh on these shows, we have touched on this before, but you're a perfect person to uh to to discuss a little bit. There's a big difference between daytime and and uh, late night. Yeah. Which I didn't know until, until I got to daytime. Yeah. Yeah, until I got to daytime. And then I thought these people will just front stab you. They don't waste any time. They don't care. It's cutthroat. And the nearest I could come is that there's just so many departments. There's a human interest department. There's a, a separate interview department. There's a, a you know, a, a project department. There's a comedy department sometimes. And, and everybody's competing, I guess, for airtime, but, and late night, the menu is pretty clear after comedy. Is it funny? Will it get a laugh? Brutal, sometimes very hard to do, very cutthroat. But still, it seems the bottom line is funny or not, let's move. Daytime, there's like nine agendas. How, how did you kind of survive that and sort through it? Yeah, I don't. I, I hear what you're saying. I don't think it's the competitive, that competitive nature. I think, I mean, I don't have it now, thankfully, which is great. But I think it comes from the 90s, those 80, those shows from New York. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But, you know, I worked on Divorce Court. And if you look up my former boss, uh, you'll see that she is up for trial or whatever for murder. So, like... If you think your boss is bad, uh, Google her. You might want to cut her name if you guys want out, but it's there. So that that's the kind of the world you're coming from. I don't. Still, so you're <sighs> saying it could just be a culture. I don't think it's just. Yeah, but I also. In New York, uh, from all these competitive kind of crazy daytime shows. And then that just became the norm. People decided, oh, if, if, if we're uh, going to start a daytime show, we should get people with experience. And then these crazy people came out and said, this is the way we do it. We're manic. We do it this way all the time. And it's- I don't know hundred percent agree with that. I have to say like, I think that's part of it. I think that's part of it. I've right. had horrible experiences late night. So I'm not even going to go, I'm not even going to separate. So, so, so for you, it doesn't matter. I get shit everywhere. No, for a writer, um, for a writer, maybe more, a writer comedically, because uh, I remember when we got to Queen Latifah, the the mandate you had a you had a hard time. We, yes, without but, saying names, you had hard people. Yeah, we wanted to uh, that we want that late night feel, and then of course you know we gave it to them, and they really didn't want that because there's so many other things that have to be achieved in daytime. You have to give information. You, you know, you have to uh, uh, allow processing time. You have to do all. It was weird. But but for a segment producer whose creativity and humor is coming from a whole other direction, I now can see what you're saying. There there are times when late night would be just as brutal for you 
and I will now ask you for those times. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't want to get we're like, yes, I was, you know, like there's a guy menta- mentality of bullying or whatever, like a late night. At, right, right. On certain shows, like not on, uh, on Kimmel was where it was really bad. I'm trying not to say it, but it was like, you know, like at the seven years, I just got, it was okay because I was overweight that you can shit on me, even though I was right. a producer or a senior producer, it didn't matter my title. So right when I got, when after that horrible experience and I went to Lopez where everyone was so grateful that I was there, <laughs> it was such a different experience. People were like, wow, wow, you worked on, you've done this before. Cause like you said, the, the writers don't do what I do. No. So the, and George, I think, respected the, the producers more than the writers because he is the funniest writer in the world in his mind. Right. And I think he's hilarious. You know, he's one of the yeah. best comedians. He's a tremendous stand up, which people tend to forget. Yeah. This guy, you know, has written and he wrote jokes, you know, and then he added a lot of personality to it. But he was a joke dude. I mean, yeah. I remember th- when I first started working in LA, George was one of the guys. I, I would watch and go, man, that dude can write a fucking joke. Right. You know? and, and joke after joke after joke. And he knew how to tag him. So, uh, yeah, he would be the funniest guy in a writer's room for him. That's for what him I'm saying. So for him. Without a doubt. So I felt like his feeling was, for me, I'm the, you can't write better for me than me. But for the producers or the art department or the props department, like to him, I don't do that. You guys are magicians. It's fantastic. So, right. right. Uh, when I got there, it was like, oh, you know, so I was appreciated. So that was different. But there is, and I think because the daytime world of like the Sally Jesse's type of uh-huh. thing, you know, like this Phil Donahue, where right. they're all fighting for the same horrible story. Like I, I've done a lot of the, you know, like a man who killed his whole family. You know, like I worked at a new show. We got to get him. <laughs> we got to get him. There's that's a the famous mentality. story. I was told this famous story. This is secondhand by a uh, producer, but that this woman, this is a great story, even though it's not mine. Uh, she had breast implants and she was in the military and she removed them herself because they hurt so bad. Yeah. And she put them in a jar and she sewed herself up. So now one show, what? let's say, yeah. So one show gets her and they usually put their guests in this hotel, but they know that like the other show, let's say it was Maury or somebody was going to steal her. In the story, I heard it was Maury. So they put her in a secret hotel. Somehow, the Maury people figure it out. Call her in the hotel and say, this is, again, the story I heard. Uh, will you come back? Maury just wants to meet you. We're not going to, and bring their breasts, of course. Maury wants to meet you. We're not going to do this. Don't worry about it. And she sits on the stage, and it's black. Maury's supposed to come out. Lights go up. Audience, ladies and gentlemen, and they're doing the show, and she had no idea. Wow. That's... um. One time at, at Lopez, we were Man. supposed to have on. Uh, I know it's a great story. I don't know why I didn't pause after that. It's an amazing story. It's not. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. No, Someone so else told me it wasn't true, but the person that Maury told me was true. So I don't know. Uh, so what happened? Oh, uh, we had Gary. Who's that crazy guy? The crazy actor. Uh, oh, Gary Busey. Gary Busey was coming in from from Apprentice, and he was flying in on Sunday, coming on our show Tuesday. And Kimmel stole him and had him on Monday. So, like, I felt like that was kind of the same thing. But they just told him, we want to have you on, and he'd rather do a bigger show. So, Wow. So you have to get into those fights, too. You're in those. That's the, 
that's the crazy thing. Uh, you know, no wonder you uh, you have to quit these jobs after a while because <laughs> you have to create funny and all the stress that involves. And then at another part of your day, <laughs> you have to go into another room and go and have, you know, guest bookers and publicists uh, shouting stuff. We need so-and-so. We got to get so-and-so first. Oh, they're coming out. We don't want to be in third position. So uh, my head would blow up. I mean, I've done it. A You've very done it, though. Head. You've done it, though. You've dealt with, like, and, and, with yeah, strong but, personalities but, and things like that. Yeah, but it was it was... I did it later in my career, so I had one thing going for me, which was I I cared a lot less. Yeah. Uh, but then the other thing was I cared a lot less. So, so fuck me, fuck you. At some point, yeah. <laughs> you know, even if you say it softly, you're saying it. So yeah. I knew that really wasn't a, a world I I could exist in for an extended period of time yet if you're in it and you know it's your job and this is kind of your forte you're really good at it uh-huh. how do you do that how do you shift gears between a bunch of comedians and a host who's probably a comedian and then a room full of middle management people how do you survive that i think that's, that's the job i mean you did that as head writer you were on uh queen yeah uh, yeah i'm trying to answer that like yeah, you, I guess you just you comment, you just do two things, and and as a producer, your job is to make sure everything works, that everyone's doing what, doing the right thing. Like you, I don't know. I try never to say the word no, even though I mean no, because I'm trying to get them to come somewhere. I'm sorry, I'm yeah. in the conference room, so I'm pointing at people and pretending I'm working. Um, <laughs> pretending you're working even now. Uh, all right, we're almost done. We'll wrap it up because we got to No, but uh, I don't know. It's a good question. I think that that's part of the unique – that's the difference between being a writer and, and being a producer. Right. Like when I was working on the Fallon show, the, the game show, I was like, wait, all I have to do is come up with the games? I don't have to figure out how to make the games. And they're like, yes. I was like, that is insane. Like I can just eat the food. I don't have to cook the food and hunt the food and (laughs) cut up the food. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's the difference. You come up with something, you have to do both. You know, I know. I remember at, uh, at Latifa, uh, you know, come at the whole writing staff or the whole writing staff. There's three of us, uh, you know, came from like more. So, yeah, but well, it wasn't, uh, it came from late night. So we would come up with an idea or, or, you know, and we would just figure, all right, we'll have help executing it at least. But I remember then for some reason they were doing legit like games, like shoes or lose. Uh, and then there was something where they had to spin a big barrel and pull a vacation out and somebody won it in the audience. And they asked us to produce those. And I was like, I, I don't, I don't, I have no clue how to do this. Right. And I knew there was probably six people on staff who had a clue, but they weren't yeah. going to them for some reason. And I'll never forget poor Corin Nelson. One of the producers was like, there, I had to spray paint the huge barrel that they turned the envelopes in. And I managed to get that done. And then we we're they're doing the game on the set and I'm supposed to be there. And she just turned to me and said, why aren't the envelopes called too? And I literally said, I don't fucking know. <laughs> no, I didn't know why anything was anything at that point. But yeah. so you were able to do that. What was the wildest sort of shoestring 
where you're really pulling it together at, at the last minute where you're like, oh, my God, go to the hardware store and get a battery. No, one of those big nine volt batteries. Get that. I mean, was there ever a time where you're like, oh, my God, I don't even know if I'm going to have the ingredients to pull this segment off on the air. Yeah, I'm just fuck. I was trying to think of like something happened at work and it was so bad like that. And then Alec Baldwin shot that person and died. And I was like, well, no one died. So I think we're okay. I think we're, oh, I needed wire hangers. And they didn't get wire hangers. This is what it was. And because they, they had to they had to be wired because you had to stretch them. And they didn't get them. So I went to wardrobe and I said, do you have wire hangers? And they said, I would never use wire hangers. And I was like, okay, can I? someone find me wire hangers for the love of Christ? <laughs> so and then just I went trying to get a bit on the air. I went <laughs> and now the offended room. the entire uh, wardrobe department. Yeah, so I went into the dressing rooms of the, of the hosts, and I looked through their clothes, and I looked for something, the wires hanger I could find, and took that off and switched it. And so I literally stole wire hangers from people's dressing rooms to make wow. that happen. Well, folks, that's what we will do. Uh, that's That's the sacrifices we make in show business. Uh, Adam Spiegelman, we're going to do this again because we've just scratched the surface. Uh, but uh, what great fun talking to you. You're at All Access, uh, Access Hollywood. And Access then Hollywood. And, and something online, I think, called All Access. But in any event, I got to get into that whole world, too. We're going to do that the next time because uh, I know you're busy. Uh, people are screaming at you right now to go. <laughs> Wait, I'm pretending I'm typing. Yes, I'm <laughs> nodding. I'm diving. I'm nodding. I'm Oh, you don't do that. uh, uh, Thanks for coming on, man. What a blast. We'll do it again. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jeff.